Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Villa Society podcast where we analyse the latest fixtures featuring Aston Villa and discuss the key moments that influence the game. I'm your host Paul James and today we're going to be talking about the superb 2-1 victory at Villa Park over Tottenham Hotspur. But before we start if you could like or follow or subscribe to this podcast on Spotify or Apple or wherever you consume your podcasts, that'd be amazing. A little review would go a long way in helping us to produce more content and get more exposure for this podcast. So that'd be great if you could do that. That'd be awesome. So Aston Villa 2, Tottenham Hotspur 1. And I was at this game, went down to Villa Park. The sun was shining. It was a beautiful day. There was a great atmosphere in the fan zone, a bit of music, plenty of beers going around, just a great vibe going on at Villa Park. And it's kind of an odd one because I think a lot of people thought we might get a result here against Spurs. Spurs have been off form. You know, they've got a caretaker manager in after Conte left. And Villa are just on the up, really. And I think even though we've had a couple of bad results recently, I think, uh, I think we were thinking yeah at home we're quite strong we could go and get a result here so beautiful day at Villa Park had a few a few drinks on the way in a few beers outside the ground and then yeah I'd had my seat in the Holt for this game and I haven't been in the Holt end for quite a while actually been sitting in the Trinity for for a bit I forgot how how big it is in there it's like it's so much bigger in the in in the stand than it is in the trinity and the food and the drink seems to be a lot easier to get to so uh, i think i would try to sit in the hole as much as i can going forward but yeah the atmosphere was really good it was uh watching the Newcastle game beforehand um, against Leeds and that was quite interesting watching Leeds missing penalties and coming back to get 2-2 is a good game there so good atmosphere in Villa Park and um, yeah I took my seat and we had the old streamers at Villa Park as well so I don't know whether you saw these but there was like uh, claret and blue streamers that were given out before the game so had a bunch of those before kickoff people were lobbing those in the air I think they were pretty cool could do a few more though I think Um, but it was a great atmosphere for this game and just a buzz around the stadium I think going into this game so Spurs coming into this game they had won their home fixture against Crystal Palace 1-0 at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium before that they were away at Liverpool they got beat 4-3 that game was a strange one because Liverpool looked like they were really going to run away with it and and it was going to be like 5 or 6-0 but um, Spurs came back in that second half and managed to claw their way back into the game but uh, still ultimately lost it in the final minutes yeah they're not exactly on form but they had been playing okay with a win at home but their away form wasn't looking too hot especially when you consider the away fixture just before the Liverpool fixture was the 6-0 drubbing by Newcastle so Spurs were still a bit fragile coming into this game so I think a lot of people Aston Villa fans especially were pretty positive about going into this game and getting a getting the three points so before we get into the three key things from this game, it is Stats Blast. So Stats Blast, today there was 42,164 at Villa Park to watch this game in the sunshine. Aston Villa's expected goals XG in this game was 1.18 and Spurs XG was 1.37. I can only guess that that includes these offside opportunities that Spurs had because I don't know why Spurs' XG would be higher in this game. They didn't do much at all, but they did have clear-cut chances, but most of them were offside. Aston Villa had 49% to Spurs' 51% possession. Again, this one's a bit bit of a weird one because I don't feel like the game went like that while I was watching it myself. I thought we had a lot of possession and dominated most of this game. Villa had eight shots in total and Spurs had five. Villa had four shots off target and Spurs had two off target. Villa had four shots on target and Spurs had two on target. 
Villa had 350 accurate passes, which was 85% accuracy, and Spurs had 371. That was 85% accuracy as well. And that's, that doesn't seem to be how I, I saw the game as well. So I thought Villa were pretty dominant in this game. If you look at the spells of dominance in the game as well, you'll see that Villa, particularly in that first half, were all over Spurs and were the dominant team and dictated the play most of the time. So the Premier League put out a tweet after this game and it said, a back and forth affair of Villa Park, visualised by Oracle. And then it's got an image below with John McGinn kind of beaming and it says attacking threat. And it has a graph that shows all the attacking opportunities throughout the game and it shows it's being quite even. And I can only imagine that what they've done here is they kept in those offside opportunities that Spurs had. And that isn't really a fair reflection of the game because from the way I saw the game, Villa dominated this game. And I think even Villa fans on Twitter think this. They're all over this thread just commenting how ridiculous it is. And I think if you look at any of the stats like momentum or dominance through this game, you'll see Villa pretty much dominating the game, especially in that first half, just complete domination. So to put out a tweet like this, kind of cherry-picking a particular stat seems seems like a little bit of top-six bias to me. So, yeah, not great there from the Premier League. So the first key aspect of this game that I wanted to talk about was the use of the D and Emery's high line. So I know I talk quite a lot about the high line that Emery uses and it's used in the past as well, but it kind of fascinates me and it's interesting to watch because it's a high-risk strategy. Um, but I also want to watch, um, talk about the use of the D. So it's so interesting watching Emery's team and having a view from the whole end looking down on the defence. It was it was like a bird's-eye view of what, how the defence plays. And it was really interesting to see Mings, Konza, Moreno and Ashley Young, how they play the ball around the back. One of the most interesting things was how we have Douglas Louise, usually usually one of the uh, midfielders, central midfielders, but usually Douglas Louise, he will drop in, in in the width of that penalty area, but he'll drop in looking for the ball. And the idea behind this is so if Mings or Konza has the ball, he'll drop in and he's hoping, or Emery's hoping, that someone will mark him and they'll follow him and he'll be pressed and Douglas Louise will be facing the goal so he can play a safe pass back to Mings or Konza. And what this is doing is it's drawing their midfield player out of position, leaving a gap behind him where one of our midfield wingers, they come inside and they can pick up the ball there and they've broke the line and then they can turn and we're then on the counter-attack. It's not really a counter-attack, but it's breaking the lines and creating space in between. Very useful, useful tactic, but you could see it so well set in the whole end. So it's kind of a misconception that Villa play on the break or as a counter-attacking team. They usually kind of pull teams in, kind of get them to commit to marking players and then they've got the ball in between the lines and then they can attack. Once this happens, once that midfielder, one of the wingers gets the ball or maybe another midfielder in between that line, it's a kind of sign, a trigger to kind of change tempo and play fast attacks and really hit that other team while we've got the number advantage. So I do like this tactic from Emery. He's used it in the past quite a lot. And it's entertaining football. It's front foot football. Once they break between the lines and then we're, we're attacking in numbers at pace, it's entertaining. And we score quite a few goals this way this season. 
but it is hugely risky if you get it wrong. And we've seen Kamara give a goal away this way this season. And in this game, Louise, he receives the ball and then a Spurs player gets a nick on it and it rolls to Kane. Kane's clean through. All he's got to do is slot it past Martinez. But thankfully, we've got a world-class goalkeeper who smothers the ball and uh, does a fantastic save and prevents Kane from scoring. So, yeah, it's highly risky. And, yeah, we, we saw it in this game. It, it offered an opportunity for Spurs to score. And I think we'll get better at playing it, but we're still making mistakes with it, which is a bit of a worry at times. So again, in this game, we saw the Villa side playing this high line and we play quite narrow high lines. So the defence is quite narrow, but we do apply pressure to the other team. It allows us to prevent them having a lot of space in the midfield and it forces them to play these long balls over the top or through, trying to beat that offside trap. And for most of this game, it worked really well and Spurs are offside quite often. It's quite frustrating sitting watching it in the crowd though, because a lot of people are just screaming at the lines and like, why haven't you flagged? Why haven't you put your flag up? and I understand why they haven't because if it's VAR's job you can't put your flag up and then VAR it can you because the game's stopped so they have to go with the unfortunately it's a problem with the technology you know you've brought this technology in you've got to continue with the game and then stop the game and then go back you can't flag because you're going to stop the opportunity if you, if you are wrong so in this system of a high line, you've got Martinez playing more like a sweeper at times, sweeping up before, behind that high line, but it's it's pressing the opposition and making them play backwards, forcing them to play backwards, and then they haven't got much option apart from to play backwards or try a, a ball over the top. And it means we're dictating play to the opposition, and that's the way Emery wants to play, I think. And it's also something we're going to have to get used to, I think, because I don't think it's going to go away very soon. I think Emery's going to play, played it at Arsenal, he's played it at his previous clubs, so this hand line is there to stay. I think sometimes he may stop using it in certain games as a tactic, but I think he uses it to dictate the play and try and squeeze the opposition, make them play backwards, make them force them to play balls over the top, ultimately, that give possession back to us. So it's high risk, but it seems to work, and it worked in this game, so you can't complain, really. So the next key moment of this game that we're going to be talking about is Aston Villa's free kick and the penalty decision. So it was really good to see us score a free kick directly from the free kick. I think it's been a while. I think Dean scored one against Manchester United. He curled one into the bottom right-hand corner. But it was great to see Douglas Louise, who's had a great season, scoring a goal directly from a free kick. We haven't seen one for ages. They usually go over the bar or hit the wall. Or we've done some nice movements where we've played the ball around a little bit. But we haven't seen many that just fly in the top corner or into the back of the net. So it's really good to see this one that's clearly a move off the training pitch. And fair play to Austin McPhee here because it would look like um, a routine where we've got our own wall in front of Spurs' wall just to make sure that their goalkeeper, he's not too sure where the ball is. He's got, he can't really see the ball because there's a double wall there and um, yeah Douglas Louise curled it into the goal it wasn't right in the corner but it was enough that the goalkeeper was too far on his right hand side or yeah on his right hand side protecting that side of the goal that he couldn't get across he couldn't see in time to to get there so brilliant to see Douglas Louise scoring like that I wish you'd score more I think he's got the ability we've seen him whip a goal into the top corner before um, I think he's got that ability I don't know why he doesn't take more it might be a confidence thing but yeah really good to see a direct free kick that was off the training ground and just one that flew in the back of the net and it was 2-0 Aston Villa and that stage I was like yes this is done just needed that second goal and this game's done 
and Villa Park erupts and the atmosphere is incredible. Just chanting around the stadium was awesome. It was very loud today. Uh, yeah, loved it. Great goal from Dougie. At 2-0 up, I thought the game was probably done. We had so much dominance in that first half. Came into the second half. Spurs had a little bit of play in the second half, did a little bit better. They were pushing to get a goal towards the end. And Harry Kane, Harry Kane as usual, he got down that right-hand side into the box. And he's looking for a penalty. And Martinez comes in. Probably didn't need to because he wasn't going towards goal. And he comes in, dives, and Kane... Kane's going to lap that up. He knows what he's doing. He's tapped the ball past him and, and kind of simulated a foul. He's, he's kind of gone in the air, making sure his legs and body kind of hit Martinez. And yeah, the referee referee goes to VAR. VAR tells him to get to the screen. And yeah, penalty. So after this game, I got a lot of messages from friends who support other teams. And they were like, oh, look at Harry Kane again. He's doing, he's doing what Harry Kane does, essentially diving and simulating. So if you listen to any commentary on like Sky or Match of the Day or whatever, they're always saying like, oh, he's cleverly, cleverly bought that penalty. But it's, it's not clever. He's cheating. And VAR was supposed to stop this kind of problem. And if that's not a dive and that's not simulation, then what is? They get to slow down this footage and look at it several times and they still give a penalty. Why? Because it's Harry Kane and it's Spurs. Well, that's not right. So they need to look at this and make the right decision. Book the guy for simulation and he won't do it again. But unfortunately, you've given him a penalty there. So he's going to do this time and time again because he keeps getting a penalty and there's no punishment for simulating. You you rarely see yellow cards for doing this kind of thing. So Harry Kane's going to continue to do it and they're going to continue to say it's very clever when really it's just cheating. And if you look at the other fixture, it was Villa against Spurs at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium and it was Watkins clean through down the right-hand side. Hugo Lloris wipes him out. Nowhere near the ball, no penalty. What's the difference? The only difference I can see there is Kane gets a nick on the ball. Whether that's in the rules or not, I'm not sure. I haven't had a look yet. I will have a look at some point. But he's completely taken Watkins out and stopped him from playing the ball. So how that's not a penalty, I don't know. So very interesting, but again, alludes to like a a top six uh, London club bias there, really. So there's a really interesting tweet after this game by a guy called Nigel Perry and he's added Keith Hackett, former Premier League referee. And he said, I'm not the only one, I'm sure. Please, please explain the Harry Kane penalty yesterday at Aston Villa. How on earth is that a pen? Not initially given, then overruled as clear and obvious error. He died before Emmy Martinez was near him. Hashtag joke decision. And Keith Hackett comes back and he says, simple explanation. It is an act of simulation with manufactured contact. Not a penalty kick for me. There you have it. Former Premier League referee saying it's simulation by Kane. And referees need to start booking him if they look at this and VAR should VAR should be looking at this and saying, that's not a penalty. Here's your yellow card. It's the only way to stop it. Otherwise, it's just, it's a bit of a farce, really. I mean, we're lucky this decision was on a penalty in the 90th minute and it wasn't the 56th minute or whatever. And Spurs didn't have a chance to get back into the game and we could play the game out with plus six minutes going on towards the end of the game so we were lucky that it was really really late in the game and we kind of got away with it but I'd be absolutely furious if you know this decision had been made and Spurs went on to get a point so on to the next key moment of this game it's less of a key moment but two key players that had an impact on this game 
So, first of all, John McGinn, he had a really, really outstanding game. Watching him live from the whole end, it was just incredible to see how he's turning players in this game multiple times. He was using that backside of his to kind of really play physically against Spurs, and I don't think they could cope with it. He really dominated in that centre of midfield, and it was an impressive game all around from McGinn. Really, really, really good display. So I think John McGinn's one of the players who's really bought into the Emery style of play. If you go back a few weeks, there was a Sky interview with John McGinn and he was talking about how it's so different the way Emery's coaching him to how he was taught how to play football in Scotland. Whereas in Scotland, you were kind of told to get rid of the ball pretty soon on after receiving it. You wouldn't spend that much time on the ball. And then Emery's way is very different. It's very much like trust your own abilities. Take that extra touch if you want, if you think you can. Maybe even beat your man if you think you can. And trust your own abilities, have a bit more confidence and take a few more touches if necessary. And you saw that in this game. McGinn was getting the ball and he was like, like turning his man, he was battling, he was winning the ball, he was he was turning his man, pushing into midfield, breaking with power and pace. It was really impressive performance and I think he's just taken on board what Emery's been coaching him really and he's having a really good end to the season. It's just a shame to see him booked quite early on in this game. I think he must have done a slight niggly foul to begin with and then this is his second offence and the referee books him. Much to the fury of the guy sitting next to me, he was like, this is not consistent. Spurs players haven't been booked and this kind of stuff. And yeah, I kind of agree. It was a bit soft, but yeah, it was a shame that he was on a yellow card from such early on because as a midfielder, a tough tackling midfielder, it's kind of hard to make challenges when you're on a yellow. You've got to be super careful. But despite being on that yellow really early on, McGinn had a really good game and he really dominated in that central midfield spot. So Leon Bailey came to the side today after not starting the last game against Wolves. Bertram Trory was playing there and he didn't have a great 45 minutes against Wolves and got hooked at halftime for Bailey himself. So Bailey started this game and I think he offers something different. He occupies the defence on that right-hand side and he really gives them something to think about. He, he's got a lot of pace, he's got a lot of skill and he's got cutting edge as well. And we saw that in this game. He played the key assist for our opening goal. Ball was with Moreno. I think he took a touch off Wendier before Ramsey got it in the midfield and he drove on as Ramsey does and he plays the ball out to Bailey on the right hand side Bailey drives into the box down the line occupying one of their defenders and then pulls the ball back and Ramsey slots in side foots into the back of the net and it's very similar to another goal those two have, have been involved in before so it's an interesting move and it looks like it's a tactic we play um, I think if you look at this goal as well is there he's in front of Ramsey I think the idea is that is occupying their centre backs and pushing forward leaving a gap on the edge of the six-yard box for someone like Ramsey to come in and, and be, be available for that pullback. And uh, it was a great move and another great goal from Aston Villa. It's often quite a bit of criticism around on Twitter about Leon Bailey, but I think we're a better team with him in the side and I think he does a really good job of causing problems for defenders and really occupying them and creating cutting edge chances really even in this game um, he had a chance himself Watkins got the ball on the left hand side of the box and he cuts the ball back to Bailey Bailey doesn't really get a firm connection with it and he kind of side foots it but it doesn't have enough power and the keeper saves it so he had a great game he was involved in a lot of our play and I think I think he can take it up a level I think he just needs to take it up that little extra bit Maybe it's confidence, I'm not sure, but he's definitely got the ability. I'd just like to see a little bit more from him. 
But it was great to see Leon Bailey play his part in this game. I'm very pleased for him. And it's exciting times just seeing Aston Villa play this way and also kind of going into a game expecting us to pick up three points. It's very unusual to be an Aston Villa fan going into a game and thinking, yeah, we'll probably win this one. So especially against Spurs as well, they're not a bad side. They've got some great players. So it's an exciting time to be an Aston Villa fan. It's kind of unbelievable what Emery's done to this squad and to this team and how far we've come. Just going into games and expecting these kind of results, it's just, it's incredible and it's just really exciting times. We've got the whole summer to build on top of this and if we can bring in two or three players that are just a level above, it's just going to, I think he's gonna really going to take us to the next level and we're going to challenge for top six, top five, definitely. It was a great time to get down to Villa Park and in the sunshine and the buzz around Villa Park. There's like an excitement in the air. And I think you know, the atmosphere was really, really good at this game. I think it can get even better, especially if we get some European nights. So fingers crossed. It was a great game, great result, and I had a great time. And I can't wait to go back for another game. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Villa Society podcast. If you could follow or subscribe or write me a little review, it'd be so appreciated. You can do that on your Spotify or your Apple podcast or wherever you assume this podcast. I will be back after the Liverpool game, tricky game at Liverpool. I think, you know, let's just, let's go for a 1-1 here, I think. Villa are in good form after this game, so I think maybe sneak a draw. Why not? Um, and I will go for Douglas Louise to score. If you have any predictions or want to send me a message, you can send me a message at thevillasociety.com. Just pop in a message there and send it to me or get me on Twitter at the Villa Society. So I'll see you after the Liverpool game. Until then, I hope you all have a great week and up the villa. Mm-hmm.